Welcome to Changing the Way People Feel About Insurance with FWD. My name's Fiona Mattesini, and on this podcast, I'm talking to Sim Preston, FWD's Group Chief Operating Officer. On this podcast, we talk about how the industry needs to reinvent insurance from the inside out. We have not done the, the emotional job of helping the customer back to society, back to their community, back to their family. We also unpack what it really takes to be a trailblazer. We have an obligation to to challenge on behalf of our customers and be a true customer advocate in what has been an industry without an awful lot of customer advocacy. Oh, and we discuss unexpected conversations when you're sitting next to somebody on a flight. Yeah, I've had a few of those flights, actually. Oh, really? Uh, (laughs) This podcast was a socially distanced face-to-face recorded in the UK at the tail end of December. Sim, first of all, it's a real pleasure to be in person. It feels like a real treat to be face-to-face with somebody. What one myth would you love to debunk about insurance? Only one. (laughs) Only one. Um, That it's too complicated for me. You know, if I talk to people about insurance, people who aren't familiar with particularly, and again, when I say insurance, I'm talking more life and health rather than motor or home or commercial. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people kind of roll their eyes and it's, oh, well, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I know it's going to be a complicated conversation. I know it's going to involve quite unpleasant discussion around, and when we talk about life and health insurance, what we're really talking about is death and disease <laughs> and accident and how do we manage those risks. Then it's a conversation I'd rather have tomorrow. And it's also going to involve me paying money and not getting any immediate benefit beyond some notional peace of mind. That's the myth I want to debunk by explaining to people that it needn't be complicated. It's absolutely for them. It's helping them to manage the risks that they have and, and to get the protection so that should anything happen to them or their loved ones, depending on what the policy is, then FWD in this case is there to stand behind them and help out. And it doesn't have to be complicated using fancy jargon and a lot of mumbo jumbo we can simplify the language we can simplify the propositions we can simplify the way those services are delivered and overall it can be a more enlightening and engaging experience and that last point i think is important too the old model of selling a product and going back once a year for the renewal premium is not going to wash anymore so i think we need to find ways to engage our customers on a much more frequent basis not to be a pain not Mm. to irritate them but to provide reassurance to help them to understand their needs to provide a broader range of services that can help them to celebrate living more effectively and you know we we are taking steps down that path at the moment Mm -hmm. this is becoming a bit of a repeat question on this podcast but what trends or emerging behaviors are taking your attention as an immediate priority yeah it's all sort of interwoven a lot of fancy words out there but it's fundamentally around meeting a rapidly evolving customer expectation Mm. and that's got a big digital component but it's not just about digital insurance it's a human industry and we we can't afford to negate the the human touch component of it digital is important it's about simplicity of the customer experience explaining our products and services in simple ways delivering them in ways which are intuitive to people who can buy a car or buy you know a house mm. online and it takes them probably less time than it does to fill out an insurance application for <laughs> so i think there's a lot we can do and must do to to simplify the whole experience across the four journeys and i maniacally focused on this but it's the learning journey the purchase journey the buying journey and the claiming journey all from the customer's perspective we think about it and break that down how do we teach people about insurance in a way that they understand and, and is accessible to them and it's not intimidating 
and it's a positive experience. How do they go through the buying experience when it's not too painful and cumbersome and confusing? When they come to service their policy, that's, again, very insurance language, but when they use our products, how do they do that in, in intuitive, simple, straightforward and fair ways? And when it comes to claiming the moment of truth for any insurer, are we there to hold people's hands at the point of claim and then get them back on the road to recovery after they have a medical event or a loss in, in the family? Those are critically important things. And I think the expectations for how we treat customers are changing. Expectations from regulators are changing. Uh, but fundamentally for me, if we're going to be true to our vision and be a customer-led company, then we have to change the way that we do insurance and deliver those services to our people. Actually, it's really interesting to hear how you've answered that question because for many people, they will go into things like AI and modular insurance and micro-insurance and all of these trends coming up. And it's really interesting to hear that actually you've answered this from the customer perspective, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and these are all means to an end. And everyone gets excited about AI and machine learning and cloud. And they're all great and they're all important. And we're doing all of those things, but we're doing them in the context of delivering Mm. a fantastic customer experience, Mm. ideally at lower cost. And let's not forget there is an economic angle to this too. We, We have to meet our customers' needs, but on terms which are economically attractive to us as well. Mm. Uh, and so it's genuinely advantageous for both parties. But this is what customer-led is about. You know, we, we can't be distracted by the latest newfangled technology or the latest product fad. We need to be aware of all those different inputs, but fundamentally it's about, you know, how do we help our customers get the protection they need for their life and their health for themselves and their families? If I can use our, our brand tagline, celebrate living more effectively as a result. Mm. And I guess staying on the theme of trends, how do you feel about some of the big tech giants moving into the insurance space? It's a good stimulus for us. I don't don't see it as a threat. The barriers of entry are pretty high. You know, you've got to have a license in each market. You've got to have solvency capital. You need an awful lot of actuarial and technical skill to run an insurance company. But again, that's a very internal view. I think externally, it gives us all as an industry a a big wake-up call. I'm very fortunate that one of my two long-term mentors was a board director of Amazon for 10, 11 years until quite recently. So I had a little bit of an inside track into how that company thinks and how the executive team operates. Nothing confidential, of course, but the way in which decisions are made, the way in which teams are formed, the way in which resources are allocated. And I think there's an awful lot that companies like ours can learn Mm. from that. It's a very different way of running a business, and it's absolutely with the customer at the heart of it the best way to defend ourselves is to attack from within. Mm. And that's what I think we've been doing as a company these last seven years, but by trying to redefine the way that insurance is delivered and through that change the way people feel about insurance, we do that through a combination of, as I mentioned before, about digital inputs, it's automation, simplification, removing some of the old processes, simplifying our language and the way we communicate with our customers. All those things come together into the best way that we can defend against competition, be that traditional competition or new forms of competition, is to lead the market in, in the right direction. And I think we are we are doing that. Yeah. Moving on to a slightly different topic, but how do you bridge those gaps in ensuring brand appeal for millennials and all those emerging targets, Generation X, Generation Z, I kind of can't quite keep up with where we're at at the moment, but at the same time, retain appeal for an older generation? I think the the way we've approached it has been pretty successful on this front. I think we have pretty good data that shows that we have a much higher proportion of what we call millennials, which are people simply put age 40 and below, Mm -hmm. a much higher proportion of millennials in our customer mix than than our competitors do. In part, that's simply mathematics because we're a younger company. Mm -hmm. 
but I think we have a, a larger, younger and younger at heart uh, customer base. And our brand is very much linked to that. And so we are seen and known as being different, as being innovative, as being bold in a market which is historically known for being traditional, staid, boring, quite frankly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so I think that's allowed us to build up this larger, younger customer base. And if we do right by our customers and if we serve them well and if we give them the protection that they and their families need over the course of time, those people will become older and they will become a larger, older customer base. So I'm more interested in, in being young at heart than just for the young. Yeah. Because there are plenty of people who are a lot older than 40, my, my, I'm one of them I hope, <laughs> who, who think of themselves as young at heart and have a lot of energy and, and want to celebrate living and want to do that with the peace of mind that their life and health needs are are well protected. Yeah, it's not always chronological age, it's sometimes it's uh, an emotional age, which is another interesting question. Absolutely. I'm going to reorientate you now and talk about product. In terms of product, how easy is it to differentiate in such a competitive market, particularly when right now everyone is trying to innovate and differentiate? I mean, surely there are only so many ways that you can, for example, sell a life product. That's true at the core. I mean, the products themselves, from a technical perspective, are are not unique in the sense that they are replicable. And in fact, because we have to file pretty detailed descriptions of our products with our regulators, then... These are not trade secrets, and we have to document those very clearly so that when people read our documentation, the product itself, in the narrowest form, can be replicated. What's far more important is the packaging of the proposition around that. So one example of that is our recovery program, so that when, when somebody who has one of our policies has an accident, gets a diagnosis, whatever it may be, then not only do we pay the claim quickly and promptly and fairly, which is the minimum requirement and from a pure product perspective, but also we offer recovery services. We give them access to nursing support. We give them access to concierge services to get them a car to take them to the doctor for their mm-hmm. tests. Or we offer telemedicine services in, in certain markets where customers can't or won't or don't feel comfortable going to you know, getting in a, on a bus and going to a doctor. There's a lot we can do around the proposition. And the brand is important in that as well. If people see FWD and know that they're going to get the care that they need, not only at the moment of truth, which is at the point of getting a diagnosis, say, but actually all the way through that process so that they have, that we will hold their hand, we'll get them back on their feet, back into the workforce, back to their families. That's the best service we can provide to customers, I think. Mm. And I think we are advantaged in that. We are seen, if you look at our customer survey results, and we track this quite closely, then we are number one, I think, in every market in terms of being different. Now, being different doesn't necessarily better, but it does mean that we are seen as do, trying to do something different to yeah. our larger, older, more traditional competitors. And that's a massive advantage that we have to continue to pursue. Yeah. That we have an obligation to to challenge on behalf of our customers and be a true customer advocate in what has been an industry without an awful lot of customer advocacy. We are becoming quite known in a number of markets for certain types of medical protection, particularly around cancer, where we're a leader. We're a leader in Japan. We're, we're leading in Singapore and one or two other markets. And we have interesting cancer propositions being launched in a number of markets, it's clearly a major medical concern for a lot of people in, in our part of the world. And in Singapore, we've launched the Big Three product, which is proving very successful, which is cancer, heart disease and stroke, which together in Singapore and a number of our markets account for 50% or more of the premature death and, and, or, or illness. And so if we can help people to make the lifestyle changes they need to improve their, their chances there, then I think that's a we are seen to be leaders in that space. And uh, that's something we, we continue to build on. Mm-hmm. 
I've heard you say that when people buy insurance, they're effectively buying a unit of trust. What will it take to get customers to trust insurers more? Trust is absolutely critical. That is, it takes a long time to build it. I think we have an obligation to reassure customers that we are there to be trusted. And I think the way that we're doing that, to repeat, is by being truly customer-led. It's much easier to persuade customers that you're going to be around if you show them that you're on their side and advocating for them to make things easier, make things simpler, make things more transparent for customers. I think the fact that we have such a disproportionate and fast-growing number of millennial customers, customers age 40 and below, shows that we are trusted by that cohort. And that's a huge cohort of people that will stay with us if we're true to them and serve them well over time. Mm. So going back to that, that cohort of millennials, if you ended up on a flight sitting next to a 25-year-old who hated the idea of insurance, how would you convince them to buy? What product would you lead with as your flagship that could ladder up to others? Or what would be your methodology? Yeah, I've had a few of those flights, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and sitting in airport lounges and things. Yeah. I mean, as, as long as they were comfortable, of course, I'd, I'd get them to talk about what's most important to them and how to protect those things. And even for a 25-year-old, actually, particularly for, and not to draw vast sort of social stereotypes, but for the younger generation of people, and my eldest son, who's upstairs here today, is 20 rather than 25, but you know, people of that age, are, they have a social conscience in a way that I don't think we did mm. when I was that mm. age. And so if they care about looking after their family, they care about their own welfare, their health, they care about the community at large, the environment, the world in which we live, then we can't meet all of those needs, of course. But we can certainly address some of them and give them the peace of mind that they need to be better at what they do to celebrate living in their own way. So, yeah, getting them to talk about the things that are most important to them, like their family, their home, their health, and describe how insurance can reassure them that if something does happen, then we absolutely are there to support them and we'll get them back on their feet quickly. Yeah. You have a rich and varied industry background and many years leadership experience. What's mostly in your DNA or what areas do you naturally gravitate towards? Is it digital? Is it product? Is it strategy? It's customer. Right. I mean, it sounds a bit of a broken record or a stuck, you know, <laughs> whatever, MP3 or whatever people use these days. Yeah. Broken records are very old now, actually, but... Um, uh, no, it's it's got to be around the customer. And those three things you mentioned, digital product strategy, those are all inputs. For me, it's the customer is the ultimate arbiter of how successful we are. We shouldn't define it only in terms of our financial growth or you know, our value or even our, our own people development within the company. We've got to look at how we are helping customers. Mm. And so that, for me, I think it is ingrained within FWD's DNA, and that's one of the reasons I joined. I genuinely the vision of the company really appeals and the actions we need to take in order to realize that vision are, I think, very clear. And they're clearly articulated in our strategy now. And they're pretty exciting. You know, we're not going to get there just by sitting on our hands and counting the money. We're going to get there by working really hard to do all the things needed to change what people feel about insurance fundamentally, not at the edges. I've heard you say that part of an insurer's job is to give customers what they don't yet know they need. Can you unpack that a little bit in the in the framework of insurance and perhaps tell us if you're working on anything in particular to reflect this? Yeah, there's an old phrase in insurance, which I hate, but which uh, is still sort of pervades in the industry, which is, you know, insurance is sold, not bought. 
Yes. Mm. And I think that's a very old-fashioned way of thinking about it. It's a pretty cynical way as well. And that summarizes how a distribution-led company, a sales-led company versus a customer-led company. I think we, as I mentioned, need to do a much better job of explaining the benefits we provide, not the features, not the technical mumbo-jumbo that populates a lot of insurance industry language, but in explaining in very simple terms the benefits we provide in the people, intangible as they are. Mm. And if we can do that effectively, then I think they will realize that you know, we are actually providing a valuable service. And if we know them well enough through the analytics we use responsibly, but through the data that we gather and the way we analyze it and the way we monitor and keep in contact with our customers, then if we do that well, then we will be able to preempt their next needs. Yeah. And there's no reason why we can't do that. And yes, AI plays a role and our data lakes play a role, which we're building across the whole company. Asking the right questions is important, but equally preempting those questions and, and, and offering services, be they charged services or not, I think is important. And, let me, and back to our earlier conversation on, on recovery, I don't think that anybody, any customer came to us and said, I think you need to provide a recovery service. <laughs> But we looked at the insurance value chain and said, well, there's a big hole at the back end of it, which is we pay the claim and then the customer's on their own to get mm. themselves treated. And if they're lucky, they have an agent who has a bit of empathy and, and the agent themselves will, will hold the customer's hand. But if they're not, they're absolutely on their own. But, and we've done our job because we paid the claim. We haven't done our job at that point. We may have done our financial job, but we have not done the, the emotional job of helping the customer back to society, back to their community, back to their family. And I'm now going to move you into a completely new space, a non-insurance space. Uh, you have astonishing levels of productivity. I know you travel a huge amount and you're disciplined in working to several different time zones, often at once. How do you stay energised, Sim? <laughs> well, that's a curious question, actually, because it may sound odd, but I get energy from the travel itself. Mm. So I lose energy when I'm not able to move around and I, and I obviously a few days or a few weeks I can handle but this has been a tough year for me for that reason I am so much used to being with our people in whatever market they're in yes we can do a lot on zoom and zoom is very important and, and we've managed to keep things going through video conferencing of, of all types but there is something different about being in person with teams you know going for lunch going for dinner every time I head to an airport to get on a plane I'm excited yes energize and and i've said to myself and to my wife and my family for a while if ever that changes and i start to think i really don't want to get on the plane again i'm going to stop work and do Mm. something different and you're so right there is something energizing and exciting about being at an airport and also looking up at planes in the sky and thinking i wonder where you've come from or where you're going to well believe it or not i actually have an app for that tragically i have a little app on my phone i can point it's brilliant on my phone i can point to any aircraft in the sky and it will give me it'll tell me where it's coming from where it's going what the flight number is what type of aircraft that's pretty exciting i'm taking that off you i have bets with the kids as to you can figure out geographically whether it's going from you know north to south east to west and it's fun i'm taking that off you paul has an app my husband where you can figure out which on the london tube which carriage to get on to make sure that you get off at exactly the exit you want sim it's been such an interesting and inspiring chat thank you so much thank you fiona it's been good fun So that ends our podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about FWD, you can head to the group website, which is fwd.com. My name's Fiona Mattesini. Thanks for listening. Listening.